You're listening to an Eon podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Digging Into Gardening, the gardening podcast that gives quick snippets of gardening gold to help you on your journey towards a thriving garden. In this series, we hear from gardening guru Simon Van Roy. Simon was born into a gardening family and raised in a nursery. He's spent his life learning the tricks of the trade and is an experienced gardener, nursery manager, and is full of useful information. In this episode, we discuss herb and veggie gardens and how to best get started so we end up with a patch of edible goodness that has every chance to thrive and stay alive. Now, Simon, imagining I've got nothing but an empty patch of soil and maybe a few pots, What's the best way to start my herb and veggie garden? So before you charge out and start buying everything that you can find in the local nursery for it, there are a couple of things that you should consider and think about whilst you're still at home. The first question is, are you going to grow something in ground or are you going to garden in containers? It makes no difference. You can be absolutely successful in either form or in both, but it's really important to know and understand what conditions you are going to try and grow in. If you're looking at growing directly into the soil, Are you going to consider a raised garden bed? Are you going to consider building a dedicated space for it within a garden? Or if you're going into containers, are you looking at purchasing new pots, raised garden beds? There's a huge range of options out there in the market. The most important reason to understand in what you plan to grow is so that you can ensure that you have the correct soil. If you're choosing to grow entirely in a smaller container environment, such as pots or smaller raised vegetable gardens, it'd be really important that you actually utilise a potting mix rather than choosing to grow into a garden soil. Potting mix is specifically designed to be fully self-contained. It won't break down as quickly and it contains all the right materials that your plants will need to thrive, as well as having the correct structure for being in a contained environment as opposed to garden soils, composts and other planting medias, which are designed for use in large garden containers or for when you're growing directly into the soil. Those are products which are designed to be cultivated into your soil, improve the conditions of your soil that you've got and ensure that you've got the right structure to grow herbs and vegetables in. All herbs and veggies like really good, well-drained soil. Very few plants will thrive under very wet, heavy soil conditions. So ensure that the spot that you choose or the containers that you choose have adequate drainage and the soil structure allows that drainage to operate effectively. If you've got a heavy clay soil, you'll need to improve that, be it through adding clay breakers, other composts, or by mounding the soil up, creating a raised vegetable garden to ensure that excess moisture drains away. At the same time, whilst deciding in what you plan to grow, you'll also need to choose the location in which you plan to grow these things. Herbs and veggies do best in environments which contain a minimum of five to six hours of direct sun. You can have more sun than that, but most species will thrive when they get that amount of sunlight. Anything less than that, you'll need to select specific plant choices that might work well, such as the mint family, which will work well in less sun conditions. Or you might find that during the shorter days of the year, such as winter, you might struggle to grow in those conditions. And that might be a really good incentive to say, use containers, which you can then move around your yard to basically follow the sun. The opposite's also true, that if the position is too hot and too sunny, by having it in containers, you can move it to a more sheltered or protected position. Or if you're growing in ground, you can look to plant other long-term specimens around your veggie garden to help provide that little bit of shade 
if it's needed from the hot afternoon sun. Is there such a thing as too much sun for a herb and veggie garden? Most definitely. Summer sun can be incredibly hot and you've got a couple of options. If the position that you've chosen gets a full day sun and you're starting to find that some of your more delicate herbs and vegetables are burning, struggling to maintain enough moisture or simply not performing for you, there's a couple of things that you can do. The first option is change what you're growing. Some things simply can't tolerate that incredible heat. You'll often find that lots of your herbs with a woodier stem and a more perennial nature will be more tolerant of heat. So things like rosemary and thyme and oregano will all stand up to full sun and perform really well. So it can just come down to choice. Your other option is that you can look to try and protect or shade those uh, more delicate plants through the hot summer months. So you still want to create an environment which gets direct sun. Don't be tempted to put up a shade which entirely covers them over because a lot of herbs and vegetable when they aren't getting any direct sun also won't perform. But you can look at filtering the sun or diffusing that heat a little bit. It could be with shade cloth. It could be by planting a row of, say, deciduous trees behind your veggie garden if you were gardening in in ground so that they produce foliage through the summertime to help protect your plants. But in winter, they, they go dormant and turn deciduous and allow that beautiful winter sun to come through. So you might be able to utilize your environment to create some little protection areas to grow those more delicate options. Of course, if you're growing in a container, you might simply choose to move them. Pick a spot that still gets four to five hours of lovely direct sun in morning and midday sun, but maybe avoid that super hot westerly afternoon sun that just tends to bake everything that it comes in contact with. So there can be a benefit in either way, whether you're growing in ground or in containers, to manage both the heat and the full sun environment in summer. Okay, great. So it's just about gauging your specific environment and what each plant particularly needs. Um, and now while I think of it, you mentioned mint earlier. Um, we recently planted out some herbs and veggies in our garden and my mother-in-law said to me, don't put the mint in there because it will override everything else. Mint is uh, both a blessing and a curse, yeah. depending on how many mojitos you would like to have to drink. <laughs> mint is an aggressive grower and it does produce a lot of Uh, running roots underneath the ground. So it doesn't tend to play well with other small herbs, especially in a small container environment. So so it's in like a raised box in a sort of planter box built into our raised garden bed with parsley. Should I move the parsley? Depends a little bit on how much space you've got in there. The one thing that can happen is if eventually the roots of the mint fill that garden space, and it quite literally will keep spreading indefinitely if there's nothing to contain it, Mm. and that can mean that as the roots wrap around the parsley roots, it can begin to choke out the parsley long-term, so much so that it can become so enveloped that your parsley can actually take on a little bit of the flavour of the mint because it's so aggressive around it. What it will mean long-term is that you'll either need to continually divide your mint and keep it contained into the area where you want it to grow, or at some point down the track when it becomes too aggressive, dig out a portion of it, maybe keep it contained in a pot, and then you can remove any excess from the from the ground. So in the short term, there's no definite need to remove it, but you will need to be aware of it and monitor it so that it doesn't end up making everything in your garden bed just mint. Tastes like mint. Mm, Absolutely. Funny. Also, I just had a question about the raised garden beds. Yes. What's the difference between a garden bed that you've just got sitting at the level of your garden or having a raised garden bed? There's a number of reasons why people will or won't 
choose a raised veggie garden bed, apart from the fact that it's obviously a little bit more expensive and requires a little bit of skill to either build up a raised garden bed. These days you can buy kits mm. for raised garden beds or even the raised garden beds made from uh, tank materials and things like that that raise everything up. And it can be just a simple practical implication. My mother-in-law is over the age of 80 and loves nothing more than producing thousands of beans in a season, far more than we can ever eat. <laughs> we have produced that much produce uh, over the last season that she makes donations to nearly every charity in the area that she lives. However, by having raised veggie garden boxes, it means that she doesn't have to bend over. Mm. All the produce is really accessible and it's a lot easier for her to work and cultivate her soil, plant into. So there are some practical benefits to raised garden beds. The other practical benefit is that in some cases, the soil that exists in your area may not be suitable for veggie gardening. It can even be to the point that in, in some areas, the soil uh, can contain anything from heavy metals to things that you don't want being drawn up by your herbs and veggies, you might simply have such a heavy, hard soil that it's going to be very difficult to cultivate. And like many of us, you're impatient. So by raising up, you can then add more good soil onto the top of that. And if you make it tall enough, you can actually simply incorporate all the new soil and plant into that and use it as your own little micro environment without having to spend a lot of time making those changes to the soil underneath. It can mean that you've got to consider drainage at the same time. Obviously, a raised garden bed tends to drain quite well, which can be handy. But it's also important that if you say gardening onto a slope or something like that, that it's appropriately built so that your veggie garden box doesn't act like a retaining wall and end up capturing all the water that might run down from above. And that can be a simple fix with some drainage aggregate at the front of the box to ensure that drainage is adequate. It just needs to be considered before you get started. Okay, great. So if I'm starting from scratch, is it dependent on the time of year what I'm to plant into my veggie garden or should I just plant what I plan on eating? The best advice that we can ever give to someone is to tell you to grow what you eat. Grow what interests you, grow what you and your kids like to be actually eating and what you want to have more of. Brussels sprouts grow really, really well. I really don't like Brussels sprouts, so I don't grow them. Despite the fact that I could, and during our cooler season here, it's a great opportunity to grow Brussels sprouts. If you and your family have no interest in eating Brussels sprouts, there's very little value in growing Brussels sprouts. So simply choose things that you guys are going to use. It means that if you're growing a range of, say, leafy greens because you love having fresh salads on a regular basis, grow a range of those options so you can go out, harvest what you need on a regular basis. It encourages people to get out and actually work with the plants. You'll find that by interacting with your plants more often, you'll be able to identify nutrient deficiencies, potential pest and disease problems well before they become an issue because you're out there picking leaves, harvesting on a regular basis. If you're allergic to tomatoes, don't grow tomatoes, but you can certainly still grow an abundance of basil or eggplants and other plants that you might actually find more useful. It's always more successful if you grow the things that you plan to eat. Certainly seasonality is going to be important and it's really important to have a basic understanding of where you live and how that seasonality exists in your particular region. So despite the fact that it may be winter, that would be a different seasonality compared to if you lived in, say, a frost-prone or even snow-prone area compared to a winter in the northern parts of Queensland or the Northern Territory in Australia. It's going to be a completely different range of environments to work with. So have an understanding of your local regional seasonality and how that affects what you can grow. 
the best way to achieve that is to head into your local garden centre and have a look at the produce which is available at the time. Good garden centres will always choose their stock based on what's going to work for their clientele in their area. So you'll find that in the depths of winter in the southern states, you're unlikely to find corn because it's a summer crop, but you will find a beautiful range of brassicas and other cool climate vegetables. So take advantage of what you can grow at specific times. If there's a limitation to how much you can choose, then make sure you make those decisions based on what you're going to eat and what's going to grow successfully in your region. Okay, so that's about feeding us. What about feeding the plants? We touched on this in another episode, but is it the same concept as all your other gardening? Absolutely. Everything needs feeding, um, not just us, but our plants as well. The biggest thing to know is that most herbs, vegetables are fairly quick growing crops. And the faster the crop comes to fruition, generally the more nutrient it's going to require. They still require a really good balanced diet. So it's important that your soil is cultivated regularly and fed regularly. Good organic-based fertilisers will be a great way to not only contain all the nutrients that your soil will need, but also direct feeding into those plants as they develop. A lot of people will utilise liquid-based fertilisers for young plants. It helps reduce the stress on the roots of a new young seedling, but it also allows the plant to draw up the nutrient that it needs to grow successfully without the risk of burn or over-fertilisation. Balance is really important and you'll always find that using a variety of fertilisers and soil nutrients will produce the best results for you, whether that be incorporating manures and other organic matter to condition your soil prior to planting, utilising different techniques such as crop rotation to ensure that you don't plant the same crop in the same location each season, perhaps the use of a green manure where you grow in a fallow space in your garden plot and then turn that nutrient back into the soil so a lot of legumes, radish and and various crops like that can be used as a green manure crop, which is actually about returning nutrient to the soil when you're not using it for productive purposes. As well as purchasing direct feeding fertilisers to support the growth and development of young healthy plants. Well, Simon, thank you for your insight today. I certainly feel like I'm full of knowledge now, so I'm going to go home and now's the time to have a go. More than anything, (laughs) get started, make a start on it. Even if it's only one or two plants in a small space, have a go at growing something for yourself because everything that you grow for yourself always tastes better and you get such a reward from it. This has been episode two of Digging Into Gardening. We hope you've found it helpful. In episode three, Simon covers the increasingly popular topic of indoor plants and provides you, the listener, with the simple do's and don'ts. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like more information on this or other topics, visit the blog section of manawee.com.au.